Psalm 46, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamot, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Thus far, the reading of Holy Scripture. The text for the preaching this morning is Psalm 46, the first half of verse 4. Let's just read that one more time. We read there, God's word says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, tomorrow we as a nation will be celebrating Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving is traditionally a time of joy and gratitude for the many bounties that are received in the harvest and the many gifts that have been received during the past year. It is a time when people can be happy and rejoice in the many gifts and blessings received. But is such a joy always possible? On a personal level, for many, this time of the year is not necessarily such a happy time. There can be personal stresses. There can be issues that cast a dark shadow over one's life. These burdens make it more difficult to rejoice and to be truly happy. Furthermore, more generally speaking, there is a growing uneasiness about the state of the world today. Tensions continue to plague the Middle East. Think only of Syria, Russia, and Iran. How will it all end? Meanwhile, there is an ongoing humanitarian disaster. It's not in the news as much as it used to be, but refugees continue to pour or seek to pour into Europe Many conflicts have engulfed the lives of many, and many seek to escape them. There are also concerns about Islamic terrorism as they seek to infiltrate the West, especially Europe, but North America is not exempt. And besides the political, as far as the political goes, think only of the last few days in the United States. 
But besides these kind of political and moral issues, there are also the environmental fears, the environmental worries. Can human beings continue to keep planet Earth safe for the next generation? And now besides the general concerns, we as Christians can have our worries as well, even on Thanksgiving Day. We as Christians are being more and more sidelined in public life. There is often more sympathy for those who call on their God Allah than there is who call on their Heavenly Father through the mediation of Jesus Christ. Our religious freedom is under stress. It's regularly challenged in the courts of our land. The erosion of our freedoms can have lasting impact on the current freedoms we have, especially, for example, in educating our children in our schools. How are we to respond to such challenges on Thanksgiving Day? This is not just a theoretical question. Indeed, the question of how we can give thanks can be intensely personal as well. For besides the public issues, there are also the personal ones, as mentioned earlier. Challenges that can threaten to take away the joy of gratitude. One may be struggling with a serious sickness. One may be coping with a recent death or trying to cope with grief. We live in a broken world. And things happen, situations develop that can raise all kinds of questions with respect to our relationship with God and it can cause great sadness. And then we can ask, like Job, why? And we can even weep and cry about it. So, can we always really celebrate Thanksgiving and be happy? Can we really do that if the trends in the world around us get us down and our own life may be full of struggle and misery? Can we still truly celebrate Thanksgiving? The biblical answer is yes, most certainly we can always, as Christians, as children of God, we can always celebrate Yes, praise be God, we must celebrate because there is so much to praise him for and to rejoice in. Thanksgiving Day is a good time to be reminded of how richly God has indeed blessed us and how much he does bless us in spite of all the negatives that we can list and sum up. And now to find the reason for lasting joy and gratitude under all circumstances, we need to turn to Scripture to God's revelation to us. And then, as we have just read, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God for both the present time and the future. So let us this morning consider that passage in Psalm 46 so that we can see that even in today's fallen world, we may be a people that rejoices, a people that is truly happy in the Lord a people that therefore stands out as a beacon of joy and hope in a world of darkness and despair. And so our theme this morning is this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This river speaks of the present resources of the church and secondly, also the future promises for the church. Jerusalem the capital 
the most important city of the land, Jerusalem. This was not exactly a model city in its day. Now, Jerusalem was very well defended. It was built on a mountain, so to speak. Security walled all around. But it missed one essential ingredient, which just about every other major city in its day had in abundance. What did Jerusalem lack? What was missing? Jerusalem lacked an abundance of water. Jerusalem lacked a riverside location. Think of the great cities of its day, Damascus, Ur, Susa, Nineveh, the important cities of Egypt. All these major centers of power were located on major waterways, major rivers. This meant that their water supply was plentiful and assured. They never had to worry about water in time of war. Even if access to the river was blocked in times of conflict, wells could usually be dug and water retrieved. Such cities had plenty of water. But Jerusalem, that was a different story. Jerusalem was not even located on the Jordan like Jericho was. Jerusalem was up in the highlands, high and dry. Their water supply was relatively meager. After all, where did her water come from? Well, from a small spring, the Gihon Spring. And this spring was even located outside the city. And from this spring, the water flowed gently along the Kidron Valley. And in New Testament Jerusalem, it flowed to the Pool of Shiloam. The flow was gentle, for the drop in altitude from the spring to the pool was very slight, about a quarter of an inch in 300 yards. So it was always an issue, water supply. And so in the time of Hezekiah, for example, all this water from the spring was diverted into the city through a new man-made tunnel. And the spring itself was hidden so that those outside the city could not see it. Such a hidden tunnel from the spring was understandable. Jerusalem had to safeguard her supply of water. It was precious. The city was otherwise so vulnerable. Water was her salvation, so to speak. Now, according to Psalm 46, this little bit of water running in a slow, almost sluggish flow, made Jerusalem rejoice. Mind you, this joy was not always there. In a time of drought, the water could dry up, so that water needed to be brought in. Indeed, when Rome took over, they took no chances, and the Romans built an aqueduct to bring water in from distant and better sources. And so Jerusalem struggled with water. For on occasion, it seemed insufficient. And the waters of Siloam or the Gihon were despised. People could mutter bitterly 
in times of stress. Why did the Lord not give us a better supply of water? This is the capital city. If we have more water, we could manage better against our enemies. Yes, why then did the Lord pick Jerusalem as capital, as the place where he would dwell in the midst of his people? Why? Why had God not chosen a capital, a prestigious place along some grand river? Was that not a condition without which a city could not really survive in antiquity? Well, the Lord had chosen as his capital a city with a very limited water supply. And God had done so on purpose. For Israel had to know that the Lord would sustain them and not water. The Lord would carry them through crises and not an abundant water supply. The people had to know that when the Lord gives, he gives sufficiently. In the days of Isaiah, we read about it in chapter 8, God's people despised that relatively meager supply of water, and they rejected the sufficiency of this supply, and they sought their strength elsewhere. When God heard this muttering, he took it as an attack on his provision. And then the Lord God said in anger through the prophet Isaiah, if you want water, I'll give you the water of the Euphrates, that mighty river to the east. And by that, the Lord meant, I will give you the Assyrians who will flood over Jerusalem like a water flow. Indeed, humanly speaking, the site of Jerusalem could be improved. But this was the city of God's choosing, Zion. And God's provisions were never a mistake. They are never a mistake. And therefore, we as people of God today can learn much from Psalm 46. Consider the fact that when the people of God thank the Lord for his provision in this psalm, they thank the Lord for his bountiful blessing. Even if in the eyes of men it seems to be meager, yet this psalm praises God for his bountiful blessing. For look, in Psalm 46, that meager stream of water is called a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. It's not called a trickle or a creek. It's called a river. It may very well be that as individuals, as families, or even as congregation, we may on occasion question God's provision. And we may wish we had more. More so that we could do more, not just for ourselves, but for Zion, for mission, for schools, whatever. Imagine what we could do if we had unlimited finances, for instance. But then we realize the Lord, he is the one who builds and establishes Jerusalem, his church. He gives what we may sometimes think are small amounts, but he, the Lord, sees to the well-being of Zion 
if we but use the resources given to us and not despise what we receive, as Jerusalem once despised the smallness of the water stream. No, we must work with what God gives us as individuals, as families, and as congregation. We must never despise what we have because we work with the resources God has placed at our disposal. And then in faith, we can see that actually the Lord has given us a river of blessings, even if in the eyes of men it seems to be but a small trickle. It is Thanksgiving time in Canada. Now, in biblical times, especially after the exile, water played a very important part in the way Israel celebrated Thanksgiving. And I'm thinking now of the week-long harvest feast of tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, as it's also called. During that feast, a priest would go in a procession with a golden pitcher accompanied with music. With that golden pitcher, the priest would get water from the pool of Siloam and then carry that water up to the temple. And there at the temple, he would mix a bit of wine with it. And that water would then be poured into a funnel which led to the base of the altar of burnt offering. And then the people would watch that water coming from under the base of the altar of whole burnt offering, and the people would rejoice and be jubilant. Because this ceremony reminded Israel that all the blessings of life came from the Lord and his holy temple. For there God resided in the midst of his people. And from that temple came symbolically not just a small stream flowing softly from beneath the altar. But from that temple, from the Lord God, came a river of blessings, a torrent of gifts showered over the people. Blessings, just like the Lord gave in the wilderness when water came from that rock. Remember that account? The Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10 that that rock was Christ. Water from the rock. The river made glad the people of God in ages past. We notice, therefore, that in the Feast of Tabernacles, God's people, the Feast of Thanksgiving, God's people consciously joined the temple with the Gion Spring. Those two have a relationship. It signifies one stream of blessing from God. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. As New Testament people, we can think of Israel's celebration of Thanksgiving celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles in New Testament times. On the last day, just as on every day of the feast, water was brought to the temple. But also on that last day, we read in John 7 that the Lord Jesus stood up and then he said in a loud voice, 
If a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And as the Lord Jesus made clear, as Ezra was then celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, he was speaking of the Spirit of God, whom those who believe in him were to receive. And so Christ related the water to himself and to his Spirit, the gift of God's grace. In this connection, we can also think of the prophecy of Ezekiel in chapter 47. In Ezekiel 47, we see the temple of God in Zion. And coming from under the door of the temple, there's water flowing, a stream of water flowing and bubbling. And as it flows from the temple, the water becomes deeper and deeper and it spreads ever wider and gives life even to the Dead Sea. This Old Testament vision, too, must be seen as a reference to the Spirit of God who gives new life, who is the blessing of God for his people. In view of the way Scripture speaks, also in Joel 3, for instance, about that water, that stream coming from the temple, in view of the fact that Israel herself related that natural water in her thanksgiving feast to the temple, we see that the river of which Psalm 46 speaks is not just a reference to the Gion Spring, but it's ultimately a reference to the blessings of God as evidenced by the provision of this spring of water. The blessings of God flow like a stream from his throne of grace Because he dwells in Zion, it is the city of God. It is he who gives water so we may drink and live. It is is he who gives food so that we may be strong. The blessings of God. Blessings that flow like a river, but which climax in the greatest gift of all, the gift of the Holy Spirit the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so like Israel, we on Thanksgiving Day must realize that the greatest gift of all is the blessing of Emmanuel, God with us. For from our living God flow all good things. If we have God, we've got everything we need. God's presence with us is a blessing like a river of bountiful gifts. That river comes to us. We don't even need to work for it. It comes to us. As we read in Isaiah 55, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. We live in a time of materialism where physical possession is a great thing to have. 
And in this materialistic age, we must remember that the greatest blessing of all is to have the Lord, from whom come all the gifts of life. We thank him because it's of grace alone. To have him as the greatest blessing is not to spiritualize thanksgiving into meaningless platitudes. For the streams of blessing that flow give real joy in the Lord, as the water in Jerusalem gave real joy and life, and as the blessings of having the temple of God in Zion gave gladness and concrete blessing. And if we realize that, that the greatest gift of all is to know our God in Christ Jesus our Lord, then we also know what true happiness is all about. Happiness and joy does not lie in getting more and more, having more of this or having more of that. Happiness means that we know there is God who has taken mercy on us in Jesus Christ and who provides for us life, real life. It's a life that won't even end because it's a life of joy in the face of our maker to eternity. Real life. That's the heart of everything. Happiness is being able to say as families and as congregation, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Yes, the congregation of God. If we today as a congregation cannot say that we have seen and experienced blessings concretely coming from God in our midst, then we actually cannot have thanksgiving. For then all our eating and drinking would have been done in vain. For then we still would not have seen that mighty river from the presence of God, the river of which Israel could speak in faith. Although they saw only a trickle of real water, in faith they connected that water to the temple and to God's abundant blessings as flowing from the temple and the altar. The world around us seeks joy in more and more possessions, and their thanksgiving is only a good one if they have more assets and more dollars than the year prior. Then they say we're getting ahead. But our thanksgiving is good if we can say, we thank you, Lord, that in the past year I could experience and see your being in our midst. You're shedding forth gifts of mere grace. Then the sickness, the griefs, the hurts of life are put in the right perspective. And then we know what the sense of eating, drinking, buying, and selling is all about. Then we know true thankfulness and joy, for then we have a joy that nothing and no one can take away from us because it's the joy of knowing Christ. It's the joy of having the Spirit's presence. And then we have a thanksgiving, which is not dependent on the seasons and on present circumstances, but we have a thanksgiving which is eternal in God. For this river of blessing, which makes glad the city of God, also speaks of the future promises of the church.
And this takes us to our second point, the future promises for the church. You will have noticed that we have as yet not spoken of the date or of the historical situation of Psalm 46. This is because we cannot be sure of its exact background. Some scholars place this psalm in the time of Isaiah, in the time of Sennacherib's coming. Others place it later, but no one can be sure. But one thing is certain. This psalm speaks with reference also to the future. It speaks of Israel's, the church's present resources, with a view to the future. We mentioned in the beginning of the sermon that man's worry and concern for the future is in many cases souring his present joy. Many, many people are afraid of the future. As all the doomsday and fearful speculating of the future indicates. But those who belong to Zion need not fear because their thanksgiving and joy cannot be put off by past events or by future events because our God is with us. And from him, blessings flow. He is a God who is our refuge no matter what happens. As we read in Psalm 46, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. You know, when you read those words of Psalm 46, there's something very modern about them, something awesome about them. We today experience, hearing in the news, many horrible things. Terribly destructive earthquakes, most recently Indonesia with accompanying tsunami. Horrible. Planet Earth is in upheaval. Planet Earth is shaking. And it's not just the chaos that earthquakes bring. There are also the nightmares of nuclear proliferation. Think of North Korea or Iran. There are the environmental concerns that many scientists fear the consequences and horrors of climate change. Many people are upset these days with many scenarios of what could all go wrong. Creation can indeed be shaken. Psalm 46 even speaks of it. It can be shaken in more than one way. We can think of what we read as well in Isaiah 24. This is what it says. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is thoroughly shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard, it sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls never to rise again. See the connection between sin, upheavals, rebellion. We can also think of the shaking of heaven and earth as spoken of in Hebrews chapter 12. But regardless of whatever possible upheavals, There is in Zion a river which makes glad the people of God, no matter what the future brings. That future also brings raging kingdoms and nations, raging against the church. Today, for example, many Muslim governments rage against the church. Historically, Christians have never been so oppressed 
as in today's world. And we also are not immune from Satan's hatred, but nevertheless, our thanksgiving need never die from our lips. Even if the world as we know it were to shake and tremble with upheavals in nature, even if our liberties to educate our children in Christian day school were to be threatened or even taken away because we cannot agree with the exaltation of sin and refuse to compromise with darkness of the present age, even if we face economic reprisals, as the book of Revelation mentions, because we don't go along with the glorification of sin, even if we lose everything, we will still be able to give thanks. Why? Because our life and our life source and purpose is not of this fallen creation. Our life source and our life focus is ultimately on the living God who is in the process of making us a new creation. And our thankfulness rests on God, our Savior, because for us to live is ultimately Christ. Let us never forget that. As long as we have Christ, we can praise and thank our God because that's everything. Our life and thanksgiving rests in Christ alone who feeds us with the living water of his spirit and who so gives us a joy that no one can rob us of. This reality needs to be stressed because then we see that we as children of God never need to lose our joy and thankfulness, never. Today we may thank the Lord for health and strength, for meeting and freedom, for being able to do mission and home mission, for being able to educate our children in a way pleasing to him. These are all streams of blessing, and we rejoice in the Lord for them. And yet our thankfulness and joy cannot rest in these blessings as such. We may lose our health. And should life then turn sour and ungrateful? No. We may lose our freedoms to worship, to educate, whatever. Many, many Christians don't have these freedoms even now as we speak. We do not know what the future may bring as the direction of our country becomes more and more pagan. But should we lose some of our present blessings, will we then have no reason for thanksgiving? No. Will we now dread the future and let it sour our thanksgiving today? No. For our thankfulness and joy ultimately rests in the living God. His river of blessings in whatever form will always make glad the people of God. There's an eternal present in our text. The spring, Gion may dry up. Jerusalem may have to import water on occasion, rebuild or suffer hardship. And so it may be for Zion today. But the blessings of God will always flow. For God is with us, and therefore we can always rejoice. He is our life. He provides for the present and also for the future. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. 
And when we think of the future, we can also think of what the Apostle John saw in Revelation 22. He says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Notice again that river originates from the dwelling place of God, from the throne of God, down the middle of the great street of the city. Again, that river finds its origin in the Lord our God, and that river will flow, giving joy and gladness and reason for eternal thanksgiving. The beauty of recognizing also already today that there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God is that we today may therefore give our thanks to God. And as we give our thanks to God, we may know that this is the beginning of our eternal thanksgiving to God. For our God is our strength and refuge now and forever. This means that the church design of God will always have the resources she needs because God is with her. As children of God and as church of Jesus Christ, we will never come up short. God's provision can sometimes in the eyes, in our eyes seem meager, like the Gihon Spring in Jerusalem, but in faith, we see a river of blessings from God. And we have a foretaste of better things to come. For one day, this stream of provision will be fulfilled in the paradise river of life. That outlook can only prompt songs of thanksgiving all the days of our life. For both the present and the future are secure in him who is our life and without whom we are nothing. How rich we are in him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen.